0: Hello one and all, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackbird show and it is just after about 10 to 15 minutes after the United States absolute predictable yet absolute demolition of Martinique. Now, in my preview that we did, I said the United States would win 3-0, after watching the game against Haiti, I thought they would struggle or not struggle, but not do I don't know. I had mixed expectations for. It. I knew they'd win I knew they'd probably win convincingly. I thought they'd get three. They doubled that and got six. They also allowed a goal. Emmanuel Riviere, the guy we said would be the threat for Martinique moving forward, scored the goal against Canada, scored the goal against the United States on a penalty, a foul by Kellen Acosta, set up the penalty, and Riviere froze Matt Turner and placed it right to his left, right to his right. Riviere's left, Turner's right. And I also said in my predictions that I thought Canada and the United States, or Canada and haiti withdraw. That did not happen either. It was 4-1. to one. Canada's won back-to-back games by a combined score of 8-2. to two. Haiti, what the hell was that? Now, if we're going off of my original predictions that I post on Twitter, which you can follow me at Logan underscore Blackman on social media, while you're at it, might as well go follow me on Instagram, Blackman Logan and The Logan Blackman Show 1. Search those on Instagram. It should pop up. Go and like the Facebook page. Search Logan Blackman. It should pop up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We'll be posting more previews for the United States in the Gold Cup. And subscribe to The Logan Blackman Show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But yeah, Canada destroyed Haiti. 4-1. to one, uh, Goals from Esquire... Es- I'm not even going to try. I'm sorry. Kyle Laren and Junior Hoylet. Uh, Laren scored two goals... Toilette scored a penalty. Laren scored a penalty as well. Just an absolute demolition of Haiti. Surprise is a light way to put it. I am pretty shocked that this, surpri- <laughs> that this result happened. Now, Duckins nizan did not play in the game, which is pretty surprising to me. We also didn't see Franzis Perot. I don't know if there's any injuries that we need to hear about that I just haven't seen. They also had a red card in the game as well. So... It just all went wrong. Places where it went shouldn't have gone wrong for Haiti went absolutely horrific. And yeah, Canada just took total advantage of that. Canada are looking pretty freaking good now. Imagine, imagine if they had the best, one of the one of the best attacking left backs in the world in Alfonso Davies playing for them as a left winger or as a wide back in a back three. Imagine that. Dude is the best young left back in the world. I can say that with certainty. I know you got, like, Lucas Hernandez, or Theo Hernandez, the brother of Lucas Hernandez, playing for AC Milan. He's definitely up there, but I, in my opinion, it's Afonso Davies. He's the fastest left back in the world also. Hurt his ankle. We talked about it in the preview a little bit towards the end. And now we've got a full-blown matchup with two heavyweights in CONCACAF, which is not really true, you would think, if you didn't know the Gold Cup, and I told you that the tournament takes place in North America and just involves the North American and the Latin American countries, I would think most of you would assume the United States, Mexico, and Canada are the top three dogs, not Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica, and Honduras. That is not what you would expect me to say, but that's the truth. Canada, Now, If you just follow sports, you know soccer's not very high up on the totem pole of Canadian sports. You've got even lacrosse curling above Soccer, and we're not even going to mention hockey. We already knew that. It's the national sport of Canada. But they look good. They look freaking good. Junior Hoylette scoring the penalty was nice. I didn't mean to say his name first, so it kind of caught me off guard. So if you were like, wow, Logan, Junior Hoylette scored one goal this tournament, I'm kind of surprised you said his name first. Yeah, that surprised me as well. I was going to say Kyle Lahren, (laughs) but Junior Hoylette came out. Kyle Lahren has three goals this tournament, two games. Big performances from him. He's their best player outside of Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. Jonathan David not even in the squad for this tournament, the striker for Lille or attacker for Lille, because I guess he's technically you could probably say he's numbered more of a number 10 but plays as a number 9, so it's kind of an interesting circumstance. Either way, he scores goals for fun for Canada. The United States needed a big performance against Martinique, and they got that. Now, in the group standings right now, it sits United States and Canada on top of the group with... A goal difference of plus six now the United States has one goal less than Canada now I know the goal difference is the same but I'm pretty sure I could be completely wrong on this so if I'm wrong I'm sorry about this pretty sure if the goal difference is tight because it goes off points then goal difference then I think it's goals scored moves you on or gives you the top seed so this game against Canada is big and in this United States Martinique game for tonight again six goals very impressive performance especially from Daryl DK who put on a absolute display as the number nine for the United States. They went with a 3-4-3 attack, or it was a... I couldn't tell, really, what it was, because I saw people talking about a 3-4-3. I saw lineups lineup saying that Christian Roldan was playing out wide right, but other lineups he was playing as, like, in a midfield, or as a number 10, or whatever. So it was more like a like 5-2, or 5-3-2, like the ultimate lineup that I said, but... The thing about this lineup that I really liked, and I think 99% of the people liked, he played the kids. Every single player that was uncapped up before this game got a cap in this game. And I absolutely loved it that that happened. This was a perfect game to do that. In the prediction, we said you can test things, like playing inexperienced players, and that's what they did. Now, I did not think Burhalter would do that because he hasn't really shown that he does that. I thought he'd play safe players like Ewell, Sebastian Legette, players he really likes, but play Jean-Luc Abusio and started him and played very, very well in this game. Bossed in the midfield, should have had a goal, got a great assist, set up a couple goals, not necessarily getting the assist, but gave the assist to Nicholas Giacchini. Great stuff. The Kansas City boys linked up there. I think the only thing that people would complain about in this starting lineup is the fact that Christian Roldan was starting and I think the only player that they would have argued for is Nicholas Giacchini. So you would have had more of a 3-4-3 with Giacchini and Matthew Hoppy on the wings with up top. But the formation's kind of weird. I think it was more of a 5-3-2 than a 3-4-3. Okay? Now, they could have had... The United States bothers me because they don't throw out a formation before the game. Like, France does it. The Netherlands do it. Like, why can't you just do that? Why can't you just tweet out a formation for me? and the fans, so we can know exactly what kind of system we're playing here. But either way, loved the lineup. You saw James Sands start at the middle of the center backs as, a, as the center middle center back in the back three. Usually, or not usually, I, well, yeah, sometimes. The center back that's in the middle of the defense when they're playing a back three is that, like, w- more of a withdrawn midfielder. James Sands is a number six by trade. Playing as the defense in the center, middle of the center backs was fun to see. It's kind of like what you saw with David Luiz at Chelsea. When they won the league under Antonio Conte, you saw him thrive in that middle center back spot. Uh, John Stones plays very well in that position for England as well. Like That's what you like to see. Walker Zimmerman played well. Miles Robinson got a goal in this game. I said Zimmerman would. Turns out it was the other center back. Really? Zimmerman should have had a goal. (laughs) He flipped it. His eyes got really big. He jumped over a defender, got really wide, and then just missed it. But, hey, you know, great effort. Great effort all around. We had DK recording his first career brace. Got unlucky that his second goal wasn't credited for him, but it was easily an own goal. I mean, unlucky because up until halftime, it was his goal. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And they were talking about right before the half, which was a weird half. They ended the first half before the 45 minutes were met. I've rarely ever seen that. But they were talking about other players that scored first half hat-tricks. D.K. could not have the opportunity that because at the time he had two, and then after halftime he had one. So you know what? <laughs> it's fine. But he also had goals, like I said, from Robinson. Giassi Zardes came in the game and got a really nice goal. He had a little situation where it was like, oh, man, D.K. scores two. We are battling for the number nine shirt. We have talked about this about a thousand times that I think that starting lineup or the starting number nine in the United States between Zardes, D.K., and Sargent. Zardes, to me, has been the favorite to win the starting job. I still think he is, but that motivated him, seeing DK score those two goals and playing as well as he did. That second goal was awesome to watch. Chipped it over a defender, then chipped it over to the, the goalie. Great take from Daryl DK. And then Zardes put an absolute laser past the goalie. Great goal from Jassy Zardes. And then, as I said, Nicholas Giacchini scored a goal. Gianluca Busio assisting him, getting that final sixth goal. And you know, happy. Williamson, Roldan, and Busio bagging their first assists for the United States. Great stuff. Absolutely great stuff for the United States. A 6-1 win. You can't really complain a lot about a 6-1 win. The kids played, and it was fun. Very intense towards the end of the game. And they said it on the broadcast. You don't really expect a 6-1 game to be very intense towards the end. But Burhalter, after Giacchini scored, yelled at the players to get their asses back across the line so they could try and score that goal to hop Canada in the group standings on goal difference. So, time will tell on that. I'm very excited for that game against Canada. They said it's a sold out game at Charlton Mercy Park, and me and two other friends have tickets to go down to the United States versus Canada game, and I could not be more excited. We're going to have a full preview for the United States Canada game coming for you, I hope, on Saturday, or I would assume Saturday. Not a little break for the Logan Blackman show to get back into things. Now we got to go right back. The United States has a short break to get that game to Canada, against Canada, and Logan Black-Michel's got a short break to get another preview out. So I'm intrigued a lot to see what this starting lineup looks like come against Canada. And we'll talk about this more in full as we get closer to doing the or, uh, you know the preview. But I'm really intrigued to see what this lineup looks like. Will it be a back three again? Will it be a back four? Will it be the 4-3-3? Will it be a 3-4-3? Will it be a 5-3-2? What will it be? I would assume that a strike partnership of DK and Zardes has to be a thing. I would would have to assume that, right? Would I be correct in assuming that? Now, you know what assuming does, right? It makes an ass out of you and me. Remember, that's the old adage. As The old adage says. But that's what I would... You would think that, right? Zardes played well when he came on. He's the number one, number nine for the United States. DK scored two. So you would expect that, but maybe... You know, Giacchini starts, maybe Hoppy starts. Hoppy played very well today as well. You can't really fault any performance the United States had in this game. There was really nice performances all the way around for the United States. I think Busio was the best player in midfield. Williamson was all right at times. They said it about 100 times in the broadcast. Got a little lazy at times, gave away the ball sometimes, but got the assist. It was an overcross by Busio on a corner, and Williamson was there to pick up the pieces and just laid it on a freaking platter for Miles Robinson to head it home. Brilliant stuff there from the United States. And the, speaking of corners, this was ridiculous to me. I did not understand this as it was going on. The United States had 15 corners, which is a lot. It, it is a lot. But it's also a lot when you look at how many corners Martinique had, which is zero. <laughs> if you look at the number of crosses the United States had, 21 versus Martinique's three. <laughs> Total passes. The United States almost doubled Martinique's passes, 510 to 292. I guess it's not almost doubled, but whatever. We'll count it. We'll count it. We'll count it for me. Shots on goal, the United States 12, Martinique 5. Shots totaled 22 for the United States, 13 for Martinique. Possession 65% for the United States, 35 for Martinique. So, yeah, it was a very you – you expected this game to happen, right? Everybody thought the United States would win this game. You were kind of crazy to think – that it wouldn't happen. You know, there's crazy updates that happen all the time. That There's things that sneak up on you that you don't expect. This was one that wouldn't happen. I had a friend ask me last night if I, like, just jokingly, asking if he could should throw some money on Guatemala beating Mexico. Because there was, like, a ridiculous line for that game. I was like, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is no chance Guatemala wins that game. After the short notice of getting into the tournament after Curacao got kicked out due to covid Even though Mexico's out, Chucky Lozano, they're going to beat Guatemala, (laughs) and they did. 3-0 was the final score there. El Salvador beat Trinidad and Tobago 2-0, so now we've got a big matchup in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, between Mexico and El Salvador for top of the group. Now, pre-tournament, when I post this on Twitter, we'll revisit it as well after the group stage is over, but... I had Mexico winning the group, El Salvador coming second, Curacao, and then Guatemala. Wait, wait, wait. Now I'm second to myself. I might have had Curacao finishing second. I might have had Curacao finishing second. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think I might have had that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had Curacao finishing second, and I had yeah, that kind of hurts. But I think this group would have might have finished or not. Yeah, I think this group might have finished out a little bit differently if Curacao was in this group. They are a lot better team than Guatemala. Sorry, Guatemala, but... Curtis Howard better. And it's a shame they're out of the tournament, so that kind of screwed up that prediction. For my score, my group prediction to Group B, it's going up pretty much to plan. So the United States and Canada would finish on six points, Haiti and uh, Martinique would finish on zero, Haiti would beat Martinique, and the United States and Canada would draw. But if that's the case, Canada would be first in the group, the United States would be second in the group. And then in Group C... Costa Rica, Jamaica, Guadalupe, and Suriname, I mean, there's only been one game played. They play their second game tomorrow, Guadalu- or today, I guess, when the show comes out. Guadalupe versus Jamaica, and Suriname versus Costa Rica. I had Jamaica winning this group on over Costa Rica, and then on Co- Group D, Honduras first, Panama second, Qatar third, Granada fourth. Is that what I said for the group stage for that? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a pretty simple one, right? Yeah, <laughs> But who knows? There's, there's still a few more days left in the group stages for these teams. Uh, hey, Group D doesn't play their second game until July 17th. They play Saturday. So the United States will be done with their group the day after Group D has finished their second game. <laughs> so the United States and Group D and Group B and whatever will be very well rested going into the knockout stage. Same thing with Mexico. And uh, that group, Group A, they'll be all well-rested as well. Their groups both get done on July 18th. And Group C and Group D get done on July 20th. So, yeah. We got some exciting stuff going on right now. I know the Gold Cup, it's not on paper to be the most exciting tournament ever. But if you want to watch the United States play and play decently well against some teams they should definitely play well against, watch the Gold Cup. Because you'll get games like Martinique where they'll absolutely slaughter them. And play fun teams like they did tonight, where they play the kids. Busio, Williamson, Hoppe, Giacchini, DK, Sands. Bello even played at left back. So, like, that's the team the fans wanted to see. When I was doing the prediction, I go off of what I think Burhalter will do. He went with what the fans wanted, and it worked out brilliantly, as it should have. It's a game, like I said in the preview, that you can test this type of stuff, and it worked. You can get away with it against teams like Martinique. I don't like saying that because you don't want to overlook teams, but I'm sorry. Martinique's not even a registered FIFA country. They can't compete for a World Cup, so I'm sorry about that. But that's just the facts. The United States should always beat Martinique at least by 3-0. That's why that was my bare minimum, was 3-0. If the United States lost, beat them anything less than that, I would have been really disappointed. 3-0 was my prediction. They won 6-1 either way fantastic stuff that game on Sunday in Kansas City is going to be freaking awesome sold out United States versus Canada I'm yeah I'm just excited (laughs) that's that's pretty much it very 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 excited for that one that one's going to be I just can't stop it's just going to be very very exciting. (laughs) I don't I don't want to keep repeating myself but that's it's fun it's a fun tournament the United States is fun they played a bunch of fun players today And you know what else is fun outside the Gold Cup is Phil Steele. If you don't know what this is, if you don't know but just by hearing the name Phil Steele, you should know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a freaking loser like myself, you will know this name for one thing. The college football preview was out. It came in the mail Wednesday afternoon. My mom got it in the mail and she said, Logan, she called me while I was at work and said, Logan, oh my God, what? What is it? I think you just got a, like I don't know why her mind went to this, but you just got a contract. Nope, it's Phil Steele. It's the magazine. I know exactly what this is, but this thing is my freaking Bible. I get this thing every single year without end. I've gotten, the, I don't know how far they go back. But these things are freaking awesome. If you've never gotten a Phil Steele college football preview, good Lord. The book the experts cannot do without. That is right. I am an expert and I'll be reading you some important passages from Phil Steele's magazine. There's some big points in this book. He goes through like draft previews. He ranks the players as are coming up to the NFL draft in 2022, which is exactly what I do. And then he goes through each conference, predicts what teams finish where, conference teams, Heisman Trophy players, all of that great stuff. So yeah, we'll go over the Power Five conferences, touch on some of the the independent conferences. We've got our quarterback rankings in front of us, so we'll look at what Phil Steele has. And there's some funny ones in there. There's some funny ones in there. That in regards to quarterback rankings. More so funny in the state of Iowa. Maybe people outside of the state of Iowa won't really find this as hilarious as some other people some other people, but you know, we'll go on. So, first off, the opening page has always had this. Heisman Trophy. His predictions. Phil Steele is a proud member of the Heisman Voting Committee. Phil's Heisman Projections. See page 352. So, yeah. So, here are the four people he has going to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Spencer Rattler, who is pretty much the unanimous preseason favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. I think that's how most people are viewing this right now. If you look at Lincoln Riley's track record in regards to quarterbacks, Yeah, I think it's fair to guess that Spencer Rattler will be in the running for the Heisman Trophy. Baker Mayfield won a Heisman. Kyler Murray won a Heisman. Jalen Hurts turned himself into a Heisman candidate and a second-round draft pick. The other two were first overall picks. All three of them are starting in the NFL. I think it's safe to say Spencer Rattler will be a Heisman candidate this year, and he's rightfully so the pretty much unanimous option as the favorite for the Heisman. You also have Sam Howell, the top two quarterbacks in the Logan Blackman Show NFL draft predictions or projections or whatever. As most people, I'm not going to act like my freaking brainiac because I said Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler are number one and two or 1A, 1B or however you want to look at it. Quarterbacks in the next year's draft because that's pretty much what everybody says. You're pretty much a dingleberry to not think otherwise at this point. Now, things could change as the season goes on. And then the next one on here is Keaton Slovis from USC. My dad is not particularly a huge fan of Keenan Slovis. He's not really a huge fan of Spencer Rattler either, but there's a lot of people around the state of Iowa that are not huge fans of Spencer Rattler. And Keenan Slovis had a down year last year. Even though statistically his numbers were fine, there were games he looked really shaky. I think he would say that. I think a lot of people that watch him that say that. And I love Keenan Slovis. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, I think he could definitely be in the running for the Heisman Trophy this year. And then the last one... Matt Corral from Ole Miss. We have talked about Matt Corral a decent amount on this show. Talking about how he is very, very talented. We've said that a bunch. We have also talked about how the fact that he's very exciting. He's got a very high ceiling. The problem is he's also very erratic, which does not work out (laughs) very well in regards to steady blood pressure, if I had to use a certain phrase. Because you see games like LSU in Arkansas where he throws 11 interceptions and go, wow, that's not very, you know, comforting to see that. Because coaches hate, more than anything, turnovers. Fumbles are more annoying than interceptions. From my experience of playing with coaches, fumbles are very annoying. But still, you're giving the ball to the other team. In two games you should have won, and he's in a very – favorable offense for his skill set very favorable offense this dude is an awesome talent can he put all the pieces together this year if he can i would not be shocked if he's in wherever the heisman trophy ceremony is new york where is it at i don't know i almost said canton but that's the hall of fame but yeah dude's talented dude is uber talented then you scroll through a little bit more in the pages then you go through top draft eligible players Goes through all the positions. You've got top 75 quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, top 52 tight ends, even fullbacks, top 20 fullbacks, top 40 centers, top 60 guards, top 60 tackles, top 95 defensive ends, top 95 defensive tackles. Then you've got top 70 outside linebackers, top 65 inside linebackers, top 35 corners, top 43 safeties, top 40 se- strong safeties, top 11 long snappers, top 25 kickers, top 25 punters, top twenty, top 12 kick returners, in top 28 punt returners. Now, if you look at, if you're wanting to know, because I'm in the state of Iowa, you're going to want to know where the Iowa boys are. Iowa and Iowa State. So, off the bat, starting in quarterbacks, Brock Purdy's ranked eighth out of the draft-eligible players for this year's draft, which I think is kind of crazy. And I think it's also weird that he has Brock Purdy at eight, but Matt Corral, a Heisman finalist, at number 10. That's confusing to me because I, I would imagine if you're a Heisman finalist or a Heisman candidate, you're going to be drafted pretty high unless you're Jason White and have no cartilage in your knees. Other than that, top 10 is fine. I have him at number nine in my current rankings, so I, I'm perfectly fine with this ranking. If you look at the top 10, not necessarily the same order of quarterbacks, but they're the same players except for Phil Yurkovic is out and Brock Purdy's in. Now, I love a lot of quarterbacks in college football. You should know that by now from listening to the show. The top 10 for Phil Still and quarterbacks, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, JT Daniels, Carson Strong, Desmond Ritter, Keaton Slovis, Malik Willis, Brock Purdy, Jaden Daniels, and Matt Corral. My top 10 is Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Keaton Slovis, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, JT Daniels at 7, 8 Jaden Daniels, 9, Matt Corral. 10, Phil Yurkovic. Quarterbacks, that I would argue, have a, should be around that. I really like Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I've talked about him a bunch on the old show that we did up at UNI and still try to mention him every once in a while here. I've mentioned him on Colin Company a few times. Very talented quarterback. I hope that he gets his name up there a little bit farther up the list as this gets close to the draft. Tanner Morgan at 13. Kenny Pickett at 11. That surprises me, especially when you scroll down and see, like, Derek King below that, who I think is an evil Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana. Yeah, that's, that's kind of surprising to me, but I'm not going to, like, bash it or anything. Uh, Spencer Petras, for the Iowa boys out there, is ranked 30th. My dad told me there was a list that he heard on the radio the other day or saw on Twitter. I can't remember exactly where he saw it. Had Purdy ranked in, like, the 120s or something like that. And if you listen to the show, you know I'm not the biggest fan of Brock Pur- or, uh, Spencer Petras. Like I know the whole thing about, oh, he didn't have a spring training or spring practice or whatever. He's been in the system for three years. This isn't like his first season ever in the Iowa system. He's worked with Brandon Smith, Amir Smith-Marset. These aren't uber-changing like players. You're not getting a whole new system, whole new players, and going, here, no spring practice. It's a little different than having the same offensive coordinator, the same old line, the same wide receivers, the same running backs, and then still managing to come up with the excuse that he's not ready to play. That's some BS. That's how college football works. (laughs) If that's the case, why did Eric King do so good at Miami in his first year at a new school? That's a little bit different than being in the same system for three years with the same players, the same staff. That's making excuses. Spencer Peters is not that good. Now, he could change completely by the time next year rolls around. But after watching Iowa's spring game, I'm not that optimistic. I'm open to be wrong. I'm always open to be wrong. If you want to criticize me, fine. Go ahead and do it. But Spencer Petras did nothing last year that goes, that's the guy. That's the guy right there. Like, even in the game against Northwestern where he threw the ball 50 times, Brian Ferentz, who's his offensive coordinator, a terrible one at that, has the audacity to say Spencer Petras is not ready. Dude. Any other person can say that. The two p- the people that cannot say that are the people that are directly involved in his development, and that is Brian Ferentz, who called 50 pass plays. When you have Tyler Goodson and Makai Sargent back there. Or wait, was Makai Sar- No, Makai Sargent. Yeah, 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 yeah. You cannot say he's not ready and then have him throw 50 times. You remember you're the one calling the plays, right? And you see how many wide open defenders he misses or wide open receivers he misses. When now I got I don't have the exact numbers. I remember one point last year, Sam Laporta and crap. Who's the other wide receiver? Reganey were the top two receivers on at Iowa. When you have Brandon Smith and Amir Smith Marset on your roster, let's see what the final stats were because he's got all that stuff listed out for us. So okay, Amir Smith Marset ended up gaining on those guys. But yeah, Amir Smith-Marset led the team in receiving this year for 345 yards. Smith caught up, passed Reganey, but yeah, that's not good. Yeah, there's nothing really that he did that was like, there's stuff to build on here. I can't tell you what it is. He's not accurate. He's got a cannon arm. He's like a worse version of Nate Stanley. And you should also know that I didn't really rate rate Nate Stanley that high. He can't move. He's inaccurate, cannon arm, no touch. <laughs> He's good at quarterback sneaks, though. But I would put that a lot down to spend. Tyler Lindebaum was ranked first at the interior offensive lineman, linemen, which is you know pretty much unanimous at this point. Running backs, Brees Hall's number one. You'll see Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M flip back and forth a lot on these preseason rankings for the draft. And we're going off stats. We're just looking straight at the stats. Brees Hall's the best one. The thing is, and I'd, I've i said this for a while now, I think Brees Hall might fall into that category of Jonathan Taylor. Someone like that where you get a crap ton of carries and people feel like, oh, the tr- quote, tread is off the tires or something like that. Because of how many carries you get. Oh, you know, he's not ready. He's Or he's ready, he just might be worn down by the time he gets the NFL. That's the little bit of the issue that's going on here. Now, Brees Hall right now, in college, is a better running back than Isaiah Spiller. Draft prospect, you got to look at the future as well. And if they feel like his the, quote, tread is not on the tires or there's lack of tread on the tires, that could cause him to slip in the second round. The the lowest he goes the second round. Unless he destroys his knee this year, which, God, hope he doesn't. I'm not an Iowa State fan, but I hope Brees Hall doesn't injure his knee because that dude is awesome to watch. But yeah, Isaiah Spiller... Little less ter- tre- tread issues, I guess. And then you got Kyron Williams, Notre Dame. There, Kennedy Brooks, Master Teague is reigning out, rounding out the top five. Tyler Goodson is ranked 18th on the list. Wide receivers, I mean, that's a pretty standard top three: uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and John Mechie, two from Ohio State, one from Alabama. And then it kind of surprised me: David Bell from Purdue and Drake London. From USC, a six foot five, two hundred ten pound receiver. And then you scroll down a little bit more, and then then you get the trail on Burks from Arkansas, who I really like. Big dude, six foot three, two hundred thirty thirty two pounds, beast. Justin Ross coming off a neck injury. We'll see how he does this year. George Pinkins, I think he's coming off an injury as well. I I'm, might be wrong about that. I apologize if I'm wrong, <laughs> but he's at number eleven, which I'm kind of surprised about. Is there anybody else that's really surprising? Are, Ty Freifogel is one that I'm a little surprised is lower. He's in 18th. Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama is one that a lot of people are starting to pick up on a little bit, so look out for him by the time this season rolls around. Xavier Hutchison from Iowa State ranked 23rd. Do we have anybody else from the state of Iowa in this top 75? Nope, we don't. But yeah, the top three, I mean top two I think is pretty unanimous at this point. Garrett Wilson and Chris Lave and whatever order you want. CJ Stroud who is expected to be the starter for Ohio State this year, is going to have a nice, cushiony route this year as a starting quarterback for Ohio State. Tight ends. Uh, Surprisingly, Charlie Kohler is ranked sixth. Now, most people don't have him as number one. It's Jalen Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M, usually at the number one spot. But you have Kate Otten, Jake Ferguson, Braden Galloway, and Jaleel Billingsley from Alabama. I've seen Jaleel Billingsley... Up some boards, like ranked around the third place tight end spot in this draft, usually behind Kohler and Weidermeyer. But Kohler again at number six. I'm pretty surprised about that. Sam Laporta from Iowa is ranked number 20 out of the tight ends. We don't. I mean, Jeremiah Hall, top rated fullback. Monty Potterbaum from Iowa is ranked sixth. So, yeah, I I I'm sorry. I don't scout a lot of fullbacks. I apologize about that. Coming from a school that played trip, a runs the triple option offense that is very. Heavily invested in fullbacks. I apologize for that. I'm sorry to my fullback friends from William Penn. But yeah, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, Then you got top centers. Tyler Lindebaum, again, unsurprisingly there. Alec Lindstrom, his brother plays for the Atlanta Falcons, coming from Boston College. Unsurprisingly ranked there at number two. Colin Newell from Iowa State is ranked number eight. Uh, Looking at guards, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M is up there. I've heard him moving over to tackle at some point for Texas A&M. He'll be one of the top guys for either guard or tackle. If he's listed at guard, he'll be the top guard. Cade Mays is number four, which is kind of surprising. You got Cody Inz from Iowa ranked at number 10. Any Iowa State guys on there? Iowa, Kyler Schott ranked 29th. Anybody else? Am I missing anybody here? I apologize also if I miss anybody. Like, if I miss an Iowa State player or an Iowa player, and you're like, oh, Logan Phil Steele had him ranked right here, and you completely missed him because you're freaking stupid, I apologize for that. Evan Neal pretty unanimous at the tackle spot number one six foot seven 360 pounds dude's an absolute animal at the left tackle spot and then he kind of threw it around a little bit I was kind of surprised to see the likes of Charles Cross Zion Nelson and Rasheed we- Rashid Walker dropped in the t- outside at least for the case of Zion Nelson and Rasheed Walker dropped at six at seven Charles Cross at number five you had Thayer Munford from Ohio State and Lucas pettit Freyer at number three and then Jackson Kirkland from Washington, who's a tall, slender offensive lineman, six foot seven, two hundred ninety-five pounds. And I, I know it sounds weird to say that six foot seven, two hundred ninety-five pounds is slender, but he is. He's not necessarily the big. He's not. He's no Evan Neal. I mean, he's sixty-five pounds less <laughs> than Evan Neal, the same height. Uh, do we have any other Iowa, Iowa State people in this group? Oh, Trevor Penning from a UNI has made it in the list. Let's go. The highest-rated Iowa player. In the top 75 tackles, ranked at number 21, 6'7", 325, 21 pounds. Jeez, I can't read. Then we got Sean Foster, ranked at Iowa State from number 71. Is that pretty much it? That's it. And then Kayvon Thibodeau, the number one player in the draft, obviously ranked number one for DeAnds. Drake, Drake Jackson from USC is ranked high. Aiden Hutchison is up there as well. Zach Harrison's ranked number five. We have George Karlaftis from purdue ranked at number seven kingsley and Eng- i'm i've been trying to practice his name and i just can't get it kingsley agarbon and Eng- anger and i i don't i i'm very sorry for that but obviously he's ranked in the top 10 brenton cox is ranked number 11 out inside the top five as well as a Allie gale Allie gay sorry from lsu and then zach harrison as well Top 95 DNs, Jordan Davis from Georgia. DeMarvin Leal, who I'm very surprised is ranked second in this list behind Jordan Davis. I've seen him pretty much the unanimous number one D-tackle, but Jordan Davis looks more of a traditional nose tackle as opposed to DeMarvin Leal playing as a more three-tech. He's about 40 pounds smaller and two inches shorter, so that's probably lowered him down a little bit. But yeah, where's uh, Perion Winfrey's ranked number nine, which I'm kind of surprised about. But yeah, there's the D tackles for you. Moving on to the outside linebackers, I'm trying to read. I'm trying to hold this up at like a realistic height so I can actually read it. It's kind of a problem. Outside linebackers: Christopher Allen, ranked number one for the outside linebackers. Then you've got Owen Popo from Auburn, Nolan Smith, D'Angelo Malone, Peyton Wilson from NC State, Nick Benito, I'm kind of surprised it's ranked at low at number six. Uh, Mike Rose, who had a great year for Iowa State last year, is ranked number nine. Yeah, and then inside linebackers, Christian Harris from Alabama, Henry Toe Toe from Alabama, two Alabama guys top off the top spots in the inside linebackers race, Devin Lloyd from Utah, Vontrell Miller from Florida, N'Kobe Dio, jeez, I moved the page. (laughs) N'Kobe Dean from Georgia is also on there as well. And that looks to be about it for the Iowa guys on there. Seth Benson from Iowa is ranked number 40 on that list, so congratulations to him. Derek Stingley, unsurprisingly is ranked number one corner. Kyra Elam, unsurprisingly ranked number two corner. Andre Booth, Amad Gardner, and Josh Joby, or Job, are ranked inside the top five as well. You can order them pretty much however you want. I would move Amon Gardner to number three, but that's just how that's how I am viewing it at this point in time. I can be wrong. I can disagree with the great Phil Steele. And this thing, again, like I said, is my sports Bible. And I disagree on some things with Phil Steele. Top free safeties, Kyle Hamilton. I mean, he's pretty much untouchable <laughs> at that top free safety spot. Dude is a top five prospect, maybe top six if we're being at least top 10. At least top 10. He's definitely up there. If he's not five, he's six. Or if he's not five, he's four. Dude is an absolute beast. Jack Corner from Iowa is ranked number 21 on this list. Any Iowa State or other Iowa guys on here? Jordan Battle, ranked number one for strong safeties. Bubba Bolden from Miami. Is also on there at number two, which is not very surprising. Uh, Greg Greg Eisworth, the second from Iowa State, is ranked number thirteen for strong safeties, and we got Bane, Dane Belton from Iowa ranked at number thirty long snappers. I mean, Quentin Skinner. I mean, LSU just craps out long snappers. They got the both Ferguson brothers at the Dolphins and the Bills. They're just a long snapper factory at this point. Kicker Cade York. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Cade York's like the one kicker I think everybody knows in college football punters Jake Camarda from Georgia Austin McNamara do we have the Iowa dude on here no we do not disappointed then kick returners Tristan Ebner from Baylor and then Phillip Brooks as a punt return the top 28 punt returns I think some of these numbers are funny like top 53 corners top 12 punt returners or kick returns top 28 punt returns, top 11 long snappers Managed to get out 20 fullbacks, which I was very surprised about because not a lot of teams use fullbacks anymore. And for the preseason All-Americans, Rattler being first team, Howell second team, Corral third team, Slovis fourth team. Out of the Iowa guys, Brees Hall was a first-team All-American selection. Tyler Lindebaum a first-team All-American selection as well. Moving on to the second team, nobody from either Iowa or Iowa State on this list. Third team, you got Colin Newell, the center from Iowa State, ranked as a third-team option. And then you got Greg Eisworth. Ranked as a third-team option as well. Moving on to the fourth team, Tyler Goodson sneaks in at one of the running back spots with Tank Bigsby, who a lot of people like for next, next year's draft. And Will McDonald also made the list for the fourth-team All-Americans. And we're scrolling on. We're just trying to go through. It's a book, so I'm trying to have somewhat of a interesting conversation with you while also trying to make the show as fast as possible. It's freaking late. I'm freaking tired. My throat freaking hurts. I know I watched the United States game. Logan, you probably shouldn't be recording a show right now. But I like doing it. Okay? I apologize for this. For the SEC, I mean, unsurprisingly, Alabama and Georgia, They're if they don't make it to the SEC championship game, either one of those teams, they both need to make it. I will be absolutely floored. Florida is ranked second in the East. Texas A&M second in the West. LSU bouncing back, ranking third. Mississippi ranked fourth. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Matt Corral comes in third in the Heisman Trophy race with a team that finishes fourth in the SEC West and manages to get the first team all-conference as well because a lot of these awards, yes, they go to the best player, but they also go to a team that has a lot of success. You don't see a lot of teams finishing fourth in their conference or in the side of their conference, not even conference, so finishing eighth in their total conference and becoming first-team all-conference players. Now, if I'm looking at the SEC in regards to quarterbacks, I would... In regards to college quarterbacks, we're going on pro prospects. They're two totally different things, okay? If you're a great college quarterback, that does not mean you're going to be a great NFL quarterback, i.e. Tim Tebow is like the prime example of that. Just because you're a great college player will not mean you'll pan out in the pros. We have talked about that a thousand times. Quarterbacks are the same thing. So when I talk about Matt Corral is a better college quarterback than JT Daniels. That is a different sentence than JT Daniels is a better pro prospect than Matt Corral. Does that make sense? If not, I apologize for that, but there's nothing I can do about it. Figure it out yourself. Matt Corral, to me, is the best quarterback in the SEC in college. Second is JT Daniels. Actually, no, it's not. Let's see how I have the rankings on here just to see if I have it. Yes, it is. Okay. I was looking at this like, did I have him? I feel like I kind of had to. Third, this might surprise some people. Some people, I'm saying some people because some people might realize, I mean, I've said this for a little bit now, is Bryce Young. I really like Bryce Young coming from Alabama. He's going to be a freshman this year. Is he still technically a freshman? Yeah. I'm excited to see what he does. If we're talking about pure skill set, this is completely different. Again, I have to try and explain this because I don't want to mince my words at all. Bryce Young might be the most talented quarterback Nick Saban has ever worked with. And we've talked about this a lot, and we're using an example of Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Sam Darnold is more talented than Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield's the better quarterback. Just because Bryce Young is the most talented quarterback Nick Sabans ever worked with doesn't mean he's the greatest or will become the greatest quarterback Nick Sabans ever worked with. He has that in him to become the greatest quarterback that Nick Sabans ever worked with, because dude's uber talented. Time will tell though. He's playing for Alabama. It's kind of hard to fail at Alabama. You saw what Mac Jones did last year. I mean, pan out in the NFL. We'll see. I hope Mac Jones does because I really like him. I hope it doesn't work out, like, too good for the Patriots. But hopefully Mac Jones develops somewhere very nicely elsewhere. Like, you know, Jim Plunkett. Like, he did that. He sucked with the Patriots, went somewhere else, won two Super Bowls with the Raiders. Now, if he didn't go to the Raiders, I'd be perfectly fine with that. If he went to someone like, I don't know, mean he's a quarterback. The Packers, <laughs> I don't know, but we'll see what happens with that. I'm excited to see what Mac Jones does. Third, Emery Jones, really like Emery Jones at Florida. This is going to be his first real task, as first real chance to be the starter at Florida. Obviously, Felipe Franks was there, and then Kyle Trask won the starting job, and now this is Emery Jones's chance to be the guy. And if I'm going number five in the conference, I'm going with Miles Brennan from... LSU I know it might be a little bit of a, a reach maybe I know a lot of people might have expected Bo Nix there from Auburn but I like Miles Brennan LSU I'm not I'm it's kind of difficult that LSU thing last year was weird because a team that's coming off a 13-0 season the first number one overall seed to win the college football playoff at an undefeated season set records everywhere you don't expect them to finish 500 the next year that is the case if you don't lose 14 starters and the Heisman trophy winner and then your top wide receiver opts out and then your number 1 corner is hurt the entire season things hurt a little bit so it didn't all work out for LSU last year so you go from 15 and 5 or 15 and 0 to 5 and 5 and don't make a bowl game and played very bad, and got lucky against Florida. But hey, better to be lucky than good. It's always better to be lucky than good. A shoe throw away from not beating Florida. But they did that. They did that. And yeah, I I don't want to judge LSU too harshly, because that season was freaking weird. You don't see a lot of teams lose 14 starters like that, and then proceed to lose their best wide receiver and best corner for most of the season. That doesn't happen. So I expect LSU to be more normal this year. I don't think they'll reach the heights of 15-0 and 0 and win a national championship because the likes of Alabama and Georgia are in their way. And Florida is also there as well. But I expect them to be better than last year. That's not too much to ask, right? It's not too much to ask. That. But that's my top five. Matt Corral, JT Daniels, Bryce Young, Emery Jones, Miles Brennan. Bo Nix is obviously up there. And I know some people might not like me, not mentioning Bo Nix are having him up there that high, but that's just how I'm viewing it at this point in time. Bo Nix is weird to me. I don't know if I really like him or not, <laughs> but hey, if he has a good year this year, I'll rank him high. That's that's, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal for my point. <laughs> I hope he if, he, if he actually somehow found this stupid show. Hi, Bo. <laughs> I don't think this show will ever reach down, at least at this current form, Reach down to Auburn, Alabama, but hey, we're here. Going in at the Big Ten, the next conference he ranks or has in this list. The Big Ten is weird. Out of the Power Five conferences, in my opinion, it might be the worst quarterback conference. (laughs) It might be. Now, these guys could have some good years this year, but in the face of it, it's pretty hard to rank Big Ten quarterbacks. Because you're not going... There's not a lot of good ones. There's no Justin Fields here anymore. <laughs> there's not that. You don't have the saving grace. We don't know what Tanner Morgan's going to be anymore. The best quarterback in the Big Ten at this point in time is Michael Penix from Indiana. That's weird to say, isn't it? That the best quarterback in the Big Ten that has a conference with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska, the best quarterback's from Indiana. That's weird. That's very weird. And then the second best quarterback is from Minnesota. (laughs) Like We have Tanner Morgan. And he had a garbage year last year. Now Minnesota looked at that and said, you know what? We're going to use Muhammad Ibrahim a lot. And did very well with Muhammad Ibrahim. Not necessarily as a team. But yeah, Jeez, Tanner Morgan. Second best quarterback in the Big Ten. Man, I hope CJ Stroud does well. Because I'm really excited to see what he does. I don't know where I'm going to rank him. I don't know enough about him, but looking at what the roster is around him, dude has everything in the world to succeed at this level for Ohio State. Top, the two top quarterbacks, in, or two top wide receivers in this draft class, are on his team, Garrett Wilson and Chris they, <laughs> he should He should be nice. I'm expecting him to have a very nice year. Will he rank high right now? You know what? I might move him above Tanner Morgan just because of how bad Tanner Morgan was last year. I'll rank C.J. Stroud third. I like C.J. Stroud. I'm excited. Again, the, the people he has, it'll be hard for him not to be the third or second best quarterback, maybe the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. Just to be nice, I might move him above C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I'll move him. I'll, okay, we'll be nice. We'll go Penix, Tanner Morgan, Graham Mertz, C.J. Stroud. And then the last one, it's not Petrus. <laughs> it's not Brock, it's not cheese. I could, I did that earlier. It's not Spencer Petras, okay. And there's not a lot of other good quarterbacks in the Big Ten. <laughs> I, I can't, in good conscience, rank <laughs> my dude that high. I'm gonna go with Sean Clifford from Penn State. I think you could put Plummer up there from Purdue, but I'm gonna put Sean Clifford up there. Sean Clifford is a very weird quarterback. He is not that good, but. With the standard of quarterback there is in the Big Ten at this point in time, uh, he's probably the fifth best quarterback they have. <laughs> I, yeah, dude got benched at random times during last season. It, it's just a bad crop of quarterbacks, ain't it? I mean, Tua's, quarter, Tua's brother, I guess, is in there. Rocky Lombardi's transferred to Northern Illinois, so he's not in there for Michigan Say The Iowa boy is now gone. Ryan Helsinki... From South Carolina is now on the roster so we'll see how good he does is he as good as Hunter Johnson (laughs) who was a former five-star recruit at Clemson who has not has played probably 10 snaps in his career at Northwestern and not done very well Peyton Ramsey is gone I like Peyton Ramsey a lot transferred from Indiana came to Northwestern you might put Ryan Helsinki up there as well he's probably up there in the top five somewhere around there uh nebraska adrian martinez the dark horse heisman again yeah as he is every single freaking year dark horse heisman hey remember watch out for tanner adrian martinez dark horse heisman on the case here but yeah you probably put jack Plummer up there brandon peters from illinois is probably in that mix as well yeah there's just not a lot of good quarterbacks we even talk about spencer petrus yeah big 12 big 12 easier to rank Big 12's got a lot of good quarterbacks. They're decently good quarterbacks. Maybe not the standard of the SEC, but they got some good quarterbacks in their, in their ranks as well. Spencer Rattler is number one. Brock Purdy is number two. Spencer Sanders is number three. That's, that's I think that's a pretty fair assessment for the Pig 12 at this point. And then four, I'd probably say Max Duggan. Get the Iowa boy in there. But Spe- I, I saw this. This was really weird. I would want, I want you guys to look this up. Look up Spencer Sanders' stats, okay, from his first two years at Oklahoma State. His passing, his completions, and attempts are the exact same. I looked at this yesterday, and I could be completely wrong about this. I could be remembering this completely different. That is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I've never seen exactly the same number of attempts and completions in back-to-back years. Never in my life have seen that. I really like Spencer Sanders, and if you're looking at the rest of the quarterbacks in the Big 12, I guess Tyler Show is going to be up there as well from Texas Tech, transfer from Oregon. We'll see how he does this year. Uh, You've got Jared Doge, Doge, I don't know how to say his freaking name, from West Virginia. Virginia. Skylar Thompson is up there as well. I really like Skylar Thompson. I'd probably rank him at number five. Yeah, Tyler Thompson. I know I had Tyler Show ranked higher in my draft rankings at number 10, that was a a bad part on me. I'm sorry about that. I think he's got a lot of potential. And at Texas Tech, he showed up good numbers. I, no, we'll put him at number five. We'll keep Skylar Thompson at six. But that's a tough decision, though, between those two. I like both quarterbacks. I think the top three is pretty set in stone. I think you could ar- make an argument for Max Duggan in there. But I think Spencer Sanders still, even though he's coming off a pretty interesting year, I think he's still the the what? What did I rank? Third best quarterback at this conference. The ACC, fun quarterbacks in this conference. Very fun quarterbacks. Maybe, actually, you know what? I'm going to take back what I said. I think the ACC has got the best quarterbacks, conference-wise, in the country. That might be controversial, because I just said a lot of good quarterbacks in the Big 12. said a lot of good quarterbacks in the SEC. But Sam Howell, number one. Derek King, number two. DJ Uegalele from Clemson at number three. Phil Yurkovic. At number four. Michael Cunningham at five. That's a good group of <laughs> a good group of quarterbacks right there. We didn't even mention Kenny Pickett at all. We didn't mention Devin Leary from NC State, who is a good quarterback in his own right. Sam Hartman, eh, he's all right. From Wake Forest. We got Mackenzie Millen coming back from his ACL tear. I wish that's all that happened. A snapped leg playing for Florida State. Excited to see what he can do. If he can play the full season, that would be freaking awesome. To see. And then you scroll down a little for it. We, we can ignore Syracuse. <laughs> they're they're not very good. Then you keep scrolling. We already said Kenny Pickett. Yeah, you can skip Virginia Tech. Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. Hard to rank Georgia Tech quarterbacks outside of uh oh crap. Justin Thomas from their quarterback from a few years ago. Alright, Justin Thomas, am I saying, From a few years ago. I think it was Justin Thomas. Either way, their quarterback was awesome a few years ago. But yeah, that's how I'd rank the top quarterbacks in the ACC. It'd go Hal, King, Yuigalele, Yurkovic, and then either, either Cunningham or Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton on his day is a really good quarterback. Mackenzie Milton at Florida State playing on a broken leg, I don't know how good that quarterback will be. I hope he's good because I really want him to succeed. My confidence levels are not very high <laughs> at this point in time. And then the final conference is the Pac-12. I think the set top three are set in stone. Are Keen, Slovis, Jaden Daniels, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I really like Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I really like Jaden Daniels. I really like Keenan Slovis. I like all these quarterbacks that they have at this conference. Or at least the top three. Then you got Anthony Brown over there at Oregon. You got Dylan Morris. At Washington, who had a weird year, but Washington as a whole had a weird year. They opted out of the big, the Pac-12 championship game. They didn't play in the Fiesta Bowl, meaning Oregon was the de facto winner of the Pac-12, and they shouldn't have even been in the Pac-12 championship game. But yeah, probably Anthony Brown at number four. I'm scrolling through the list. I like Chase Garbers a lot from Cal. Very versatile quarterback and make plays on the ground as well as throwing the ball through the air. But, yeah, Cal had a weird year last year. They played four games. And the Pac-12 is a whole had a weird year. It's hard to judge anything that went on in the Pac-12. Like, it's very weird. Charlie Brewer, former Baylor quarterback, is now at Utah. You've got Jaden Daniels, like we said, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Yeah. There's some good quarterbacks here. I'm going to rank it, though, like I said, the first one. Kian Slovis, Jaden Daniels, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Crap! I've forgotten quarterbacks. Anthony Brown, <laughs> I'm completely blanking on quarterbacks here. I had a quarterback that I wanted to list at number Chase Garbers. Chase Garbers at five. So Slovis, Daniels, Robinson, Brown, Garbers. We go back to the ACC. Howl. Jeez, I'm already forgetting my freaking order. <laughs> Howl, Derek King, Ugulette, Yurkovic, Cunningham slash Mackenzie Milton, Big Twelve. Rattler, Purdy, Sanders, Duggan, and Show. Right, that's why I said right. (laughs) I don't have it written down. I'm trying to go off my memory. Big Ten, you had Michael Penix, Tanner Morgan, Graham Mertz, C.J. Stroud. Wow, I'm just completely blanking on quarterbacks right now. Who did I have at number five? If you remember this, I'm I'm be very upset because I'm trying to do this off memory and I'm trying to be super cool. But it's not really looking that cool when I can't remember any freaking names that I said. Number five. Wow. Wow. Sean Clifford. Good Lord. I, I don't even like rating Sean Clifford that high. Jack Plummer in there as well from Purdue. We said someone else too. I'm not bothered to look all the way back and go through that again. And then the SEC, you have Matt Corral, JT Daniels, Bryce Young, Emery Jones, and Miles Brennan. So that's my top five quarterbacks in the power schools. And you've got the non-Power 5 conferences. Malik Willis, obviously. If you know my quarterback rankings, they're pretty consistent. Liberty is going to be fun to watch. I'm excited to see what they can do this year. Malik Willis is awesome. I would recommend you watch a lot of Malik Willis this year. Desmond Ritter, a lot of potential in there as well. Same with Carson Strong. Very fun to watch. Cincinnati, and Nevada. Dylan Gabriel from UCF is a very fun quarterback to watch as well. There's just a lot of really fun quarterbacks. Jack Cohn. Because so I guess technically they're not a ACC school anymore. Transferred to Notre Dame from Wisconsin. So maybe he's going to be fun to watch this year. You've got Louisiana's quarterback, whose name escapes me at this point in time. But there's some good quarterbacks outside of the Power 5 conferences that could be could be making some noise in the draft. Is it a hot take to say that more non-Power 5 conference quarterbacks will be taken in the first round than Power 5 conference quarterbacks? Is that asinine to say is that ridiculous to say that there will be three non-Power 5 conference quarterbacks and two Power 5 conference quarterbacks? Now, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this class, but my gut, at this point, I know I've done a mock draft, a way-too-early mock draft for next year's draft. My gut says, Howell, or no, Rattler, Howell, those are locks, Willis, Ritter, Strong, in that order. That's how I think it's going to get drafted. And then Keenan Slovis, second rounder, uh, JT Daniels, second rounder. Yeah, we'll figure it out after that. But, hey, that's a we're going to remember this. Remember this. July 16th, 2021, because now it's July 16th. I can say that. Happy birthday, Steven. 1202. I'm assuming I'm the first person to say that. Happy birthday. And, yeah, let's say that. <laughs> let's say that's the prediction we're going with. But yeah, if you've never gotten this before, I would very much recommend you get Phil Steele's magazine because it is a freaking treasure chest of just amazingness. I can't talk enough about this thing. Just watch some college football this year. I know we're all dying for some college football. There's some good quarterbacks outside of the Power 5 schools that you need to watch. And I like on the back, he's got this on here. Surprise team, Washington. Most improved team, Penn State. And then he's got just Sam Howell, Zamir White from George, Isaiah Spiller from a Brock Purdy, Kyron Williams from Notre Dame, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati. So yeah, fun stuff. Love this thing. Mwah. So yeah, we'll have a full-blown preview for the United States and Canada game, which takes place on Sunday. We'll have that out for you on Saturday, so tomorrow, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show YouTube channel. We're at 24 subscribers. We've gained two subscribers in the past two days, so I... Greatly appreciate everybody that subscribed. Might as well subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show podcast and follow me on all forms of social media. You've already said those, so just rewind the show if you don't remember what those are. Hope you have a great day, and I will see you all later. Peace.